0: it was such a peace that came over me when I realized I'm not called to be like everyone else and that's okay. And I don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And that's okay because if this is where I'm going to regain my health and be the mom and the wife and the community member that I'm called to be. um, It's okay if that makes me different. And if being the same means jumping off the same cliff of disease that everyone else is jumping off of, it's okay to not be the same as culture. Um, So I found a lot of peace in that and from there on it was constant prayer and scripture and um, just strength in my faith that helped me get through many other social and cultural and emotional issues that I found were tied deeply to my food choices.
1: Welcome to the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast. You are just listening to Marcy Madrid, who shares an amazing, inspirational, and incredible story of recovery from multiple sclerosis when she discovered that you can use food as medicine. Marcy not only shares how she did this, but she also shares her incredible journey to self-actualization and understanding and peace with being different by using her faith her testimony is incredible and absolutely such a delight to speak to and i'm just so thrilled that she was agreeable to letting me interview her it's one of those interviews that again always changes you and everyone i meet and who will listen to this i know will walk away with it going hmm i think i need to make some changes in my life and marcy Thank you again for letting me interview, and everyone, please enjoy this delightful conversation as much as I did, and I think you'll be blessed by it. Welcome to the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today I'm so honored to have Marcy Madrid from Midland Health. How are you today?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know it's uh, been an incredible story of yours, but I just want to talk to people and let you know that you're also VP of um, Planning and Marketing in Midland Health, which is a, it sounds like it's a very large organization of healthcare or healthcare system. And we can get into that as well, but you have some incredible story and I really want to make sure that we share your story of healing, but you also, I want to talk, you also talk about your faith and how that's such an important part of that. But can we go back to kind of how you ended up in Texas and especially Midland and just a little bit of people can get a flavor of West Texas and tell us a little
0: bit about that? Sure. So I actually, I'm from Orlando, Florida. I went to college um, in Tennessee at Middle Tennessee State University. I graduated with a, a bachelor's there with a focus on mass communications and TV radio broadcasting. Moved back to Florida and was looking for my first TV job. And for those that know anything about the TV business, you have to start out in really small markets to kind of earn your stripes and make all your mistakes until you can go to a bigger market. Um, so I had the choice between Topeka, Kansas, where I had to be ready to um, face extreme weather conditions on my own as a one-man band. Um, There's Columbus, Georgia. Um, there was um, a place in Florida, Panama City, Florida, and there was Midland, Texas. Those were my options as far as my first job offers. And being from Orlando, Columbus, Georgia, Panama City mm-hmm. were really close, but the the, the job wasn't as attractive as the one in Midland, Texas. It was a number one TV station. Um, and it was a really cheap cost of living at that time. Go figure, um, compared to now. And so I made the jump and I was young and it was exciting to try something new. I'd never been, um, west of the Mississippi. So I packed all my stuff up and headed to West Texas from Orlando, Florida back in 2004, I believe it was, Mm. um, and I've been out here ever since. I met my husband at the TV station. I worked at for a number of years. He was the chief photographer, and I was the reporter and anchor, so it was really cliche, but, you know, it worked <laughs> out for us, and um, and I've, I've been here ever since, and have really loved it. And I moved into healthcare um, about four years after I had moved here. Um, interested, I was getting married, and I wanted to settle down into a more stable career, and something with more predictable hours and better insurance, honestly, as a, a young girl about to get married and thinking about a family. There was sure. an opportunity here at the hospital and um, came here, and, and it's, my position has just grown ever since.
1: Wow, fantastic. So can you give us an idea of what type of um, community Midland is? And I mean, people understand West Texas, it's ranches, it's oil fields, it's dry, yes. <laughs> windy. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's and considering the climate, it's a wonder anyone lives out here. But once you start to learn about the culture and the people and all the other nuances in this area, um, it's it's you start to understand why people put up the with the weather and the climate um, to make a home out here. It's a really unique place to live. There's such a spirit of progress and and um, just a desire to. to do something better than we've done in the past and move things forward and and come up with new ways of doing old things better. And it's just such a neat area out here. And there's Mm. so much um, philanthropic support for things that matter, for things that help people, for um, projects and initiatives that are um, gonna prove to do something to improve the community. And so what you find is that it's, it's really easy to start movements here. We have more nonprofits, original nonprofits here than most other communities. There's some statistic out there and I can't remember what it is, but um, we have so many nonprofits in our community. Wow. And it's just an example of how much support there is, um, financial support for organizations and, and different groups that will reach out to help the community, to help other people in the community in need um you know and it's it's really a neat place to live because of that support and that progress and that desire to um move forward and do better and maybe maybe it's an old ranching philosophy i don't know where it comes from but it's just the spirit in our community people are friendly people roll up their sleeves to help others in need um coming from florida if someone's broken down on the side of the road you just try to get out of the way and keep going forward um out here in Especially West Texas, if someone's broken down on the side of the road, there's at least five people that stop to help them change the tire and, you know, get them back on the road and whatever it may be. It's just a different spirit and a really neat culture to be in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When we, um, I got married in 1993 and we had moved, my husband was active duty at the time and we were stationed at Goodfellow in San Angelo, which is also West Texas, just to mm-hmm. let people know. And we had to live in New Mexico for a little bit because he was stationed in New where was it? No, no, no. We were moving. I take that back. We were in San Angelo. No, no. We were in Ohio moving back to Lubbock. That's what it was. Cause I was about to start medical school, but then I got pregnant with number three. That's uh-huh. what it was. And we were in Clovis where he was stationed, which is Eastern New Mexico where I grew up. And we were going to be, I was going to school in Lubbock, but we were living in Lubbock. He, he would drive a hundred miles one way each way. Mm. We were, when we first moved there, we had just been going to our church for like two weeks. And then we bought a house in Lubbock. These folks came Packed, took their whole Saturday. It's the same, my philosophy is West Texas. So nice. And they packed up all of our stuff, moved us in. Mm -hmm. And then my husband deployed for five months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but that was just for some strangers. I like, we've known you for two weeks, but three families helped us. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is the spirit of West Texas. I I can't, I, I, I do miss that. It's an incredible place. You're absolutely right. But going back to your story. So you were married and then, coming along in life, then what happened?
0: Um, so, well I've been at the hospital now since 2004 and and really passionate about my role here and doing something that matters and helping people um, in a journey towards health. I've I've been in marketing and public relations for the majority of the time here looking at community health outreach and um, and it wasn't until about 2014 Um, that we really started talking about population health management and and proactive management of our own population here and how can we really move the needle. In 2014, we reestablished our mission to lead healthcare for greater Midland with a vision to become the healthiest community in Texas. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of refocused what our, our purpose was and what our goal is. To lead healthcare for greater Midland means we are taking the role as the healthcare leaders of our community. So everything that impacts the health of our community, whether it's a service we offer or not, like mental health, um, if, it's in, if it's something that's causing a barrier to health in our area or a health care need, we're going to bring the right people to the table. We're going to be leaders of of what we need to do to, to fix it, to create a better system. And so that that moved us more towards this um a much more external facing view of what healthcare looks like. It's not just what's happening between the four walls of our hospital, um, but it's this whole health system view and it's our Mm -hmm. community view and it's things that are happening before people end up in our hospital and what resources they have access to and what information they Um, they're getting about their health. So we started looking at these things in 2014 um, and really looking at how can we better improve the health of our community and how can we move the needle on making us the healthiest community in Texas. Well, I think it was about early 2015 that we had a couple physicians that were interested in this for their own purposes who had gone to um, one of Dr. Stoll's conferences and I think it was an ACLM conference he was he was uh, working on and had started learning about lifestyle medicine and brought it back and told a couple other physicians whose minds were blown, honestly, that this information was out there and they never heard it after you know, decades of practicing medicine and med school. Um, and so they really were, um, became passionate about the message and invigorated in their own practices, realizing that they can have such a, a greater impact on their patient population mm-hmm. just by delivering this information mm-hmm. and, and letting people know that they have a lot more power than they think they do at the end of their fork or within their lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. So much of healthcare has been delegated to hospitals and doctors now and just our culture and the way that insurance has ran you know, for the past couple of decades. People have taken less and less responsibility or ownership of their health, and just kind of put it in the hands of the doctors and hospitals to figure it out and make me better and patch me up and send me home, and I'll come back when it's broken again.
1: Mm. And you know
0: that's that's um, a lot of us at a disadvantage and thinking that we don't have any control over our health, that it's not our responsibility. It's it's the healthcare system's responsibility to make me better. Um, And I go to them when I'm sick, and they'll patch it up. And after years and years of that type of philosophy, you know, people begin to feel helpless and hopeless when they end up with these diagnoses and these health issues, because if they didn't have any control over it, then they can't do anything about it. Mm. And and they're, you know, at a complete loss of control or ability to impact their health from that mentality. So, going back to, to how this has progressed is we had these physicians hear this information, share it with others. And it's like, wow, people have more control. I, as a physician, had more control over my health than I realized I did. And they started sharing the information and saw how it impacted their own patient population and said, you know, we really need to make sure the hospital administrators know about this. They need to, if they're going to be making the community healthier and really trying to move the needle and be leaders of healthcare, then they, they have to know this information. They have to be sharing this information. And that's where I got brought in to the whole concept around lifestyle medicine. It was around mid 2015 and I was brought into a wellness committee task force meeting where these physicians that were sort of emboldened and pow- empowered by this message came together um, and sort of called a meeting with some administrators. I was brought in from the planning community outreach know, marketing PR side of things so I could help promote, put on events, share information. Um, Our CEO was there and um, a few others. So we started talking about this and and really looking into the research and realizing all the studies that have been done and um, the patients that our physicians had already impacted through it. Um, And it was just sort of just the ball just started getting started in 2015. And from a planning perspective, where I was coming from and marketing and PR, um, you couldn't deny the evidence and, and the research that was already out there. And as I'm promoting our mission and our vision to make our community healthier, you know, we would be remiss if we left out this really important idea of lifestyle medicine and food is medicine mm-hmm. because there's so much impact that people can make just by their daily decisions. And people need to know that. So I got kind of pulled in and it made sense. I think um, my first ask was to help plan a live viewing for Plant Pure Nation. It was the year Nelson Campbell came out with Plant Pure Nation. He was doing sort of a countrywide tour and those physicians that were really engaged in the beginning had contributed to his campaign and we were on the list of host cities that could host a live viewing and have Nelson and Kim come out and talk about it. So that was sort of my initial thing. I was helping to plan that. We started talking about a lifestyle medicine center and what that would look like and Um, You know, we started exploring the CHIP programs and other things. Well, around the same time, this was in the late summer, early fall of 2015, I start noticing a numbness reappearing in my legs. Um, And I had twins in 2014 and had a C-section. It was my first C-section, my third pregnancy. Um, And I'd never experienced numbness like that. Well, it went away and came back. So I called my OB, they said, that's not normal, call a neurologist, um, went through the MRI and and all those tests, and they confirmed pretty quickly that it was MS, Hmm. multiple sclerosis, which completely took me, you know, by surprise, because up to this point, I've always been healthy, you know, as compared to what culture's definition of health is, you know, my blood pressure, my cholesterol, my glucose, all that stuff, when I did annual checkups always looked good. I worked out a lot, I a lot of lean meat and low carbs and you know followed all that standard idea of what it means to be healthy i was active i was you know thin i'd lost my baby weight i was visually looked like i was in good health so Mm. to think that something could happen to me you know related to my health when i was a strong healthy 20 something um Mm. it, it really took me by surprise and it punched me in the gut wow and so For those that have received diagnoses like this, like MS or whatever it may be, it's very depressing, you know, to sit in a doctor's office. There is no hope in that, you know, you know, there's support groups, you can join a support group and join with other people that are facing this and maybe you can encourage each other. That's about all the hope you get within a doctor's office diagnosis, especially if you don't have any clue of plant based nutrition. that's what I had. I, I left the doctor's office with this new diagnosis and a prescription pad full of new medications I was supposed to learn to know and love and understand the side effects for. Um, I had a 24 hour nurse you know, nurse that called me every couple days and checked in on all new symptoms I was having. It was like understanding what this new life was gonna look like. Um, and at the same time, I'm learning about lifestyle medicine and, and, and plant-based nutrition and, and this, this thing's the hospital. And so I'm going home and talking to my husband, you know, we're dealing with this defeating diagnosis and this hopeless, you know, you have to be in a wheelchair in this many years, and this is what's going to happen. And, you know, it's sort of, they write your story for you. It's like you, you all of a sudden lost complete control of your life and your future. And now it's restricted to a prescription pad. And what this doctor says is going to happen to you over the next five or 10 years. And you believe them because yeah. they've gone through years of, of medical school to be able to tell you what's wrong with you and what you can expect from it. So um, it was just, it, it was really defeating, but husband and I were just talking about it and he's like, well, how come you can't try this lifestyle medicine stuff? And why can't it, you know, work for you? And I'm like, Oh, it's mainly like for diabetes and heart disease and all these food related disorders. Um, Cause that was my initial impression. Well, thankfully I think it was really divine important, divine appointment as, I became more involved in the movement. I was able to meet people like Nelson Campbell, um, who was able to tell me about his, his dad, T. Colin Campbell, and, and some of the research that he was aware of, and introduced me to research from Roy Swank and, and what John McDougall's been up to. And then I was able to meet people like Dr. Stoll, who from a position of authority, from a physician perspective, give me confidence in the research and, and the trials and the things that were out there related to MS, how diet and lifestyle can impact it as well. So as my husband and I are talking through this and thinking through this, and honestly, more than anything, praying through it, Mm -hmm. um, we really felt like this was not coincidence. It was not random happenstance that this is happening to me at the same time that I'm being brought into this movement and introduced to all these experts on the topic. Um, So we prayed through it. After a month of taking medication, my hair's falling out, my vision is blurry, um, I'm having employees drive me home from work because you know, I, I'm so out of it, I can't see, my head's pounding, I feel horrible, I'm exhausted. After a month of taking medication, I got worse when I started the medication. Mm. Um, so we're praying about this and we just really felt like this is what Bob was calling me to and you know, we'll give it a shot and six months down the line, if it doesn't work, maybe we can go back and try a different medication. Well, um, that was in October. We sort of made that decision. I made the switch November 1st, somewhere around the beginning of November after taking meds for about a month, Um, right before Thanksgiving. It was great timing to switch (laughs) to a plant-based diet for the first time. Um, But I I was encouraged by the idea that maybe I could regain some quality of life and get rid of these symptoms that have taken over my life. I remember braiding my daughter's hair before a soccer game and my hands were just shaking and, and I was holding back the tears thinking I've got, you know, I've got four little girls at, or three little girls at home. We've got several daughters, but three that I actually fix their hair still and get them ready. I'm like, I've got these three little girls that I'm supposed to braid their hair, you know, at least until they're in high school for all their sports. And, um, mm-hmm. I'm already failing at it. And I, this can't be the future. You know, I, I don't want this to impact these little things that mean so much to me. So um, we made the switch and through a lot of prayer and my husband was really encouraging me. And he was probably one of the biggest supports because, you know, he's, he's very spiritual too. And he really felt, you know, that, you know, the leading of the Holy Spirit saying, this is what you're supposed to do. So that gave me confirmation that this is the right thing. It is, it is no small thing to go against a doctor's orders. Mm-hmm. A doctor that has years of experience, that is very knowledgeable about different things. And when you have little bit, very, very little experience or knowledge on a certain topic and to say, no, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. Even though you say, if I don't do it, these are all the bad things that will happen to me. I'm going to go this other direction. That takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, it took a lot of prayer and confidence. And I think if I wouldn't have had those voices of authority of other physicians in my life supporting me, and then my husband saying this is the right thing to do, you know, I believe it too, and we'll do this together, that gave me the confidence I needed to to go off all my meds and start okay. plant based. Um, and that's what I did. And my physician, you know, and he just he didn't know what to do with me, so he referred me to an MS research center in Dallas, because um, he just didn't know how to manage me if I wasn't going to follow his standard plan, which, you know, which is understandable. So I over in November. I got off all meds. I cried my way through Thanksgiving, mostly on the inside, waited until I left the groups of people to cry on the outside. It was a really difficult transition. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized at that point how deep those social and cultural and emotional ties are to food. This was more than about food. This was about wanting to be socially accepted and wanting to do what everyone else does and wanting to go along with the, the flow of things and not be the one that's standing out and the one that's different and the one that's bringing your own plate of food to an event. I didn't realize how much I cared about what other people thought until I had to go up at Thanksgiving dinner with my own plate of food and explain to everybody why I was the weird one in the group. Um, so when you talk about a deeper, you know, deeper meaning or, or deeper struggle behind the food transition, the social and emotional and cultural uh, transition is, is a lot harder because those roots go a lot deeper um, and just being okay with being different and knowing what you're doing is the right thing to do um, and it's, it's the right thing for you. How, so, did you
1: go, how did you get courage to face those just out of curiosity? That Thanksgiving, oh. how how did you? What did you tell yourself to make that that entrance and speak? That what did you say? Because a lot of people struggle with that.
0: Yeah, it was really um, knowing my why, and I think that's why you can't just do it because it's the popular thing or because it's what someone told you to do. You have to know why you're doing it, and my why is because. I didn't want my hands to be shaking as I was braiding my daughter's hair. I didn't want my vision to be so blurry. I couldn't take my kids trick-or-treating on Halloween night because I couldn't see the street. I mean, that's how it was that October. It was so bad. Um, I I wanted to be young and vibrant and strong to be able to raise my kids and take care of my family. My poor husband had his life flash before his eyes when at 8 o'clock at night I'm passed out on the couch and our twin three-year-olds are running around and, you know, our kids are... Um, you know, wanting mommy to do the things that mommy always does. And I just knew that God had called me to something bigger than my life essentially being over in my twenties and my value and worth and purpose being cut off mm-hmm. so fast. I just, I just knew there was something more and, and something he was calling me to more. So that was really my why. I knew I had to do this for my family, for myself, and for the purpose that God's called me to, to take care of myself and really look at what I can do. You know, I, I believe a lot in prayer and miraculous intervention, but I also believe that there's a lot of things that God wants to hold our hands on, that he needs us to walk along the side of him in the journey. And we can't just delegate all the, the healing and everything to him. Sometimes it's a lesson that he's trying to teach us and a journey that he wants to walk with us on. And I believe that's what this was, you know, he could have healed me instantly, but he chose not to because there was a deeper lesson and a refinement of, of our lives that we've gone through by me going through this journey. So really thinking of food as my medicine and that food on Thanksgiving day, my first Thanksgiving didn't taste good because it didn't have any salt or butter or cheese, which I had lived off of all my life. And I was used (laughs) to those flavors. My taste buds hadn't changed, but that medicine made me feel horrible and if I didn't have to feel what that medicine made me feel like, and I didn't have to deal with the long-term consequences, I was willing to choke down some dry meatloaf and bland green beans and mashed potatoes that didn't taste like anything but air. <laughs> 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 and, uh, um, tofu pie That was a sorry excuse for one that I've since learned to do a lot better. I mean, that's what I had while everyone else had this buffet of options.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: It's very good. And... I just tried to eat until I was satiated and remind myself of my why the whole time. And it was difficult. And that's what got me through the day and helped me helped me stick to the decision. Um, after we left that the Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, we were there for most of the day. We were at a gas station getting a newspaper. My husband had gone inside and I was sitting in the car and I just broke down and I was crying. And I was like, Lord, this was so hard. I just didn't realize how hard it was going to be to be different, which is, which is odd because I've always been a person of strong faith, and I've proud. I've, you pride yourself on being different, you know, Because you choose to do the right thing and take the higher road, and the the road of the righteous is narrow, and we're called to be set apart and called to be different, and all these things that we tell ourselves as Christians that you know, we're supposed to be different. But in reality, most of us like to be just like everyone else. And we like to be those comfortable Christians that kind of fit in line with majority of population. And we do the things that most other people do and that are still socially acceptable. Um, and that was when I really realized I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be the one in the room that everyone's looking at, like, what are you eating? And why did you have to do that? And mm. does it taste good? And oh, and being faced with being the different one in the group was difficult so I was praying through it and um, the Lord dropped Romans 12 uh, two in my heart which is do not conform to the behaviors and patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that's where you'll you know find the purpose that he has for you and I just it was such a peace that came over me when I realized I'm not called to be like everyone else, and that's okay, and I don't have to do what everyone else is doing, and that's okay, because if this is where I'm going to regain my health and be the mom and the wife and the community member that I'm called to be, um, it's okay if that makes me different, and if being the same means jumping off the same cliff of disease that everyone else is jumping off of, it's okay to not be the same as culture, um, so I found a lot of peace in that. And from there on, it was constant prayer and scripture and um, just strength in my faith that helped me get through many other social and cultural and emotional issues that I found were tied deeply to my food choices. Mm-hmm. The reason I ate, you know, binged on things were tied to stress that was uncontrolled and bitterness and a desire to fit in and, and, and things that I didn't even realize were issues in my life.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, what an amazing journey, right? So you'd never even dreamt that eating these foods would take you on this emotional, mental, spiritual uh, journey. And yes. so you actually had, when you had your um, MRI, so you had lesions, correct? Mm-hmm. And can yes. you tell us where those lesions were? And then how did the rest of it go through Christmas, New Year's, and then your, your full transition and, and healing?
0: yes so i had lesions on my brain and my spine my um, thoracic cervical spine um and had lesions all over and was confirmed through a lumbar puncture of the ms diagnosis um so that was in i think that mri was in uh september around my diagnosis before i started the medications um and i started eating in november beginning of November, is when i switched off all medications and went completely plant-based they referred me to the MS Research Center in Dallas, um, and it took me six months to get in. So my first appointment with them wasn't until April, and they wanted to get an uh, updated MRI before my appointment. So it was in April of 2016, about six months after I had started based that um, That I went in to have a new MRI and then had a checkup with my docs. And I remember um, in, in April, um, we went in and, and the doctor was saying, you know, he put up my old MRI and my new MRI side by side on the screen. And he's like, you know, you've got to see this. And he zoomed in and I think the images were in that ACLM video, but he zoomed in and he said, you've got, you've got to take a look at this. And he showed me the lesion that was in my brain um, uh, in the di gnosing MRI, the one in September of 2015, and then um, the same area of my brain in April, my follow-up MRI, and the lesion had all but disappeared. And he said, and I was just kind of looking at it and not understanding what MRIs look like. And and he said, "You've, you've got to understand what you're looking at. You know, This kind of regression I've never seen in a patient who wasn't medicated. He said, this is remarkable. And then... In my initial visit with him, I had told him a little bit about what I was doing um, with plant-based nutrition. And he was like, yeah, we'll watch it. And then we'll suggest some medications You know, after a few months if we feel like symptoms come back. He wasn't a big believer. But after seeing the MRIs, it's interesting. My husband will say, I feel like we should send him a bill because I'm saying, no, what are you eating again? And well, can you eat this? And well, can you not eat that? And you know, what about this? And why can't you eat this? And Started diving more into the questions I mean, you know, he's a researcher. So he was really interested in what was going on and what I was doing different. Um, and, but it was just so, it was so neat how it sort of shifted and he was much more open to it. I, it was a blessing that I ended up with this particular, uh, physician at UT Southwestern, because not all of them have this type of research progressive mentality. Um, but he improved did and he's put me in a couple trials. He's been open to this. He and his PA there um, are really open to plant-based nutrition now. They've actually done a documentary recently on a group of their patients who have switched over completely to plant-based nutrition. They're looking at um, maybe getting it online or in Netflix. They've had patients who have transitioned and had great impact. So since then, their office is actually actively promoting um, plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine to their patients as a treatment option. And it was so interesting, one of my follow-up visits, they said, you know, after you see the research and the information out there and you see the impact it has on patients, how can you not recommend this or at least give your patient the option um, to, to do this when you see how big of a change it can have? And that was so inspiring to me to know, finally, there's a physician that gets it, you know. Mm -hmm. hear so many physicians that say, oh, my patients will never do that. They'll never stick to it. And I've heard our own physicians in our health system say, I'm not even going to waste my time mentioning it because they're not going to be able to do it. It's too hard. Um, And they completely um, take away that option from that individual. And to hear uh, my physicians, it was a PA, at the office at UT Southwestern to say, you know, how could you not at least give them the option and let them decide if they want to do it or not, but to keep it from them knowing it's a viable option and it can have remarkable results. Um, you know, it's, it's malpractice to not at least give them the option. And so um, it, it's enlightening to, to see what they're doing with it and how they're incorporating it more into their what is your doctor's,
1: what's your doctor's name at UT Southwestern? Uh,
0: Dr. Akuta, it's in the MS Research Center and then Katie Wright is his PA um, and Katie actually goes to Dr. Stoll's uh, conferences and is very really? open to it and it was her um, idea to do the, the documentary on their patients but again uh, Dr. Akuta is a researcher so he, um, I think he does more research than really patient care. So. Um, the fact that he was just open to watching me as really a guinea pig, and seeing what happens, and and and, and um, just being interested in the transition and, and seeing the progress and kind of jumping on and, and being supportive of it has been really helpful. Because wow. for those facing diagnoses like this, um, without especially if you're dealing with medication, you have to have a physician involved in your care. You can't just you know, go rogue and try to figure it out all on your own when there's medications involved. Mm -hmm. So trying to find a physician that is at least supportive, even if they don't know about it, but can support the idea or refer you to someone that knows more is, is so important. And that's hopefully what maybe your physician audience can learn from this. You don't have to be a dietitian. You don't have to be well versed in how to, you know, treat a patient and plant-based nutrition. But if you can at least be knowledgeable about the research and the evidence that's out there, so you mm-hmm. can give your patients the option, and then refer them to someone that can counsel them from a dietitian perspective, or um, one of the physicians that you know are doing specialty plant-based counseling and to, try to titrate medications, whatever it may be. Give your patients that option. But there's right. people like me who. It, Really changes your life and you're willing to go all in and a hundred percent and make the sacrifice because it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of quality of life and no quality of life being there for your kids or being in a wheelchair on the sidelines, you know, and right. there's a lot more people than physicians probably realize that are willing to make the sacrifice for that type of the end result.
1: And then it turns into, you change your your kind of your paradigm shift, right? It's not a sacrifice anymore. Now this is this is the life that I was meant to live. So it's not a sacrifice anymore. It's actually no. it's thriving. It's your your tool to thrive. So yes, I, it, it,
0: it shifts. It's a sacrifice yeah. at first because it's so countercultural. Right. You have to relearn your behaviors and relearn how to cook. But then mm-hmm. when you get on the other side of that 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 hump, it's like. Right thrive and you love the energy you feel and and food has more flavor and we enjoy gardening now and tasting tomatoes out of the garden and how much flavor they have and so you Mm -hmm. definitely shift after a while you just have to get through that pump I think Doug Lyle has a great talk on getting over that initial um, (laughs) and and you know getting through the first part
1: absolutely so you have four children
0: six total six
1: so yes so so you're like stoles
0: (laughs) yes yeah we we are kindred spirits in our (laughs) buses we drive around with all the kids in it I've got four young ones at home and two older ones in college
1: oh my goodness so you have two older kiddos and then four little ones Uh now and and so everyone at home is plant-based obviously even including (laughs) your husband
0: Um, So my husband's on board. My kids were standard American diet their whole lives up until 2015. Um, The younger ones, the twins, they just turned four this year. They were younger when all this started. So um, they're much more ingrained in it because we were kind of able to force them to eat certain things. Uh, My boy is nine and he is all athlete and all boy. And then I have a seven-year-old girl who's also very athletic, but more lean and open to things. Um, we rarely, if at all, cook meat at home, um, and and I try to to incorporate you know as much of my food into their diet as possible. We do some transitional vegan meats for them sometimes if they just need those comfort foods, um, and I I try to control what they eat as home at home as much as possible, but. It's a challenge when you have kids in school, you know, we're both working parents. My husband owns his own company. I work mm-hmm. for the health system. So they go to school and there's all kinds of temptations and opportunities at school to eat a bunch of junk food. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have family that they're really close with and cousins who they spend a lot of time with and aunts who they, you know, go over with and not everyone eats like we do. And they, they have go to pizza parties and, um, get introduced to other foods all the time. And what we try to do is educate them as much as possible, control as much at home as we can um, when we can. And even if we're having to eat out, sort of control some of those decisions, but most of all just educate them on what what's a good choice and what's a bad choice and why do we make good choices and why do we sometimes make bad choices and how it's okay, but just know that, you know, what you're doing and, and that it's not good for your body. And I know it tastes Mm. good and it's fun, but you just got to make sure you're not doing that a lot because it'll, you know, start to hurt your body. And thankfully our kids are all really athletic and they all want to be pro soccer players. So it's easy to kind of weave in that, Hey, you know, professional athletes have to really steward their bodies and, and Mm. eat well and be healthy and, and you can't do that if you're eating Cheetos. You know, you can't be a healthy, successful professional soccer player, you know, eating a sad diet all the time. So we try to work in lessons that are at their level and that makes sense and let them make those decisions um, as much as possible without controlling it. I think every year they get a little bit more and more on board. But, you know, when you, so, so for my nine year old boy, what he was um, seven when this started six or seven when this started. So that's six years of mm. of ingrained way of thinking and and telling him he needs to eat his meat for protein because that's what I thought. Um, and, and downing jugs of milk because he needs calcium to now just recently trying to tell him, okay, mommy lied the whole time because I didn't really know. And here's the truth and here's what you should do. And just trying to transition them without mm. being a bully about it and without being um, overbearing and forceful to where it's Um, They just, you you know, they, they want to, rebel as soon as they come, go out of our presence. So mm-hmm. I know that was a really long answer. And I know no, some no, people it's, go it's okay. 100% cold turkey with their kids. We have some friends that have done that and it's been successful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we are really ingrained in our in a family, a bigger family unit. Um, my husband has five sisters. His mom is an incredible resource to our family. The family's really close. And I think it makes it more difficult when you can't just be on an island and make those decisions as a family and Right. No one else is going to impact you um, than when you're really ingrained weekly, sometimes daily with a larger family unit. Um, there's a lot of shared meals, a lot of cousins. Um, you know, it makes yeah. it a little bit more difficult. And they're not homeschooled. You know, the, those that I know yeah. that have their kids completely plant-based are also homeschooled. So they don't have to deal with the temptations at school and hmm. the opportunities to cheat when mom and dad hmm. aren't around because it's all around them. And they're kids. They're not emotionally mature enough yet to always make the best decisions. Yeah. And they're
1: younger. So mine were 13, 15, and 18 when Mm -hmm. we switched over. So now they're 24, 22, almost 20. Mm -hmm. So at home, what we did, I went overnight, literally. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband's like, you're still cooking? Okay, I'll eat whatever. So Uh at home, strictly plant-based, threw everything out. But when we'd go out to eat, we'd let them order, you know, what they wanted. They ordered the hamburger or the steak or whatever. Mac and well, cheese.
0: Trying to get kids off of mac and cheese is like getting a drug addict off.
1: <laughs> you know, the cheese was hard. And, um, what was interesting though, over the course of a year, because I took it upon myself to educate them very well mm-hmm. <laughs> about everything. And they started, instead of ordering the meat they'd order tofu. And I was like, hmm, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of time, my daughter took a little bit longer because she's my oldest. And, mm-hmm. um, but what's interesting, she's now engaged and her fiance went plant-based, and now she suddenly, you know in the last year, really she had been plant friendly, but now she's all all one hundred percent on board. Mm-hmm. And my little one, what was interesting, he um all of them are athletic as well. Mm-hmm. He made it um did very well his um, freshman year during cross country. and mm-hmm. so he was about two years into it, and his coach, was um, always giving me a hard time about the plant-based stuff because, I mean, I was telling everybody. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I lived in a little western town in Colorado at the time. And um, what was interesting, so Gabe didn't make state, but one of his um, teammates did. So they took Gabe and another young man and they went to the state just to cheer on their uh, teammate. What happened though, he decided, well, mom's not around, I'm 15 years old, I'm going to eat hamburgers and pizza and ice Mm -hmm. cream and all this stuff. Gabe came back home on a Saturday afternoon. He's like, mom, I'm just really tired. I'm just going to go to bed. I'm thinking, well, you know, they were up all night the night before teenage boys Uh and he didn't come down for dinner and just sleeping through. I got a phone call from him at 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning across the bedroom, across the house. And I'm like, mom, I really don't feel good. I'm like, (sighs) (laughs) so I'm (laughs) right across the house Uh and we're talking it's horrible abdominal pain Mm -hmm. and it's just hanging around his belly button and it starts migrating to that right lower side where his appendix is and I was like, Gabriel, what did you eat? And he's like, no, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, I had, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had ice cream and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to kill your coach. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I was like, we have to go to the hospital because of what you've done. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if this is not your appendicitis. So what we did was we took him to the ER, called my, my thank goodness, you know, because I'm working, I worked at the hospital. And. They were so kind. The surgeon came in because even morphine didn't take away this pain. He had an elevated, he had a normal white count and then it was elevated. Um, The pain isolated to that right lower side. The um, ultrasound was normal, but they actually admitted him um, mm-hmm. because of the severity of the pain and seeing this white count go up mm-hmm. and just for observation. And it took 12 to 14 hours or so finally for the pain to resolve and his white count to drop back down to normal. Wow. And I said, Gabriel, do you see why we don't eat? <laughs> yes, <lesson laughs> that, learned. that kid is converting kids now. <laughs> but you know, what was really interesting with, with, um, my teenagers was, they like being different at that point. So they, we made it so cool in this Mm -hmm. little Western Colorado town. It's like, I'm the only vegan that's walking around. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic. So yeah, but we, uh, it's funny
0: because my, my seven year old daughter has had that happen too. She's, she's a typical girl who loves chocolate and sweets and she would hide stuff in her bedroom. And, and since we've transitioned them to eat more like this, um, she'll go to birthday parties and eat the ice cream and the pizza and everything And she'll come home and she'll be sick. Like she'll be so sick to her stomach. And and it's happened a few times now. And every time it happens, I tell her, and I tell her when she chooses to eat that, I was like, you know, this does to you and you know, it's going to hurt, but you know, everyone else is doing it and all, you know, it's it's a party. And and I think she always forgets how bad it makes her feel. And then we'll get home and she'll stay in bed and she'll be sick. And she feels like she's going to grow up and her stomach pain. And I'm like, You know why you feel this way and she's like i know i shouldn't ate all that junk but you know (laughs) sometimes they have to learn their own lessons but i'm I'm glad we're at least knowledgeable enough to teach them you know how to make choices and how bad choices have consequences and then hopefully Mm -hmm. as they're not around us they they're not just doing things because we're putting our thumb on them and making them, but they they know the consequences of those actions.
1: Yeah. My middle one, who's 22, he's a senior in in Florida. We lived in Florida as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But he wants to start his own plant-based company. Um, So it's really cool to see that ripple effect. So speaking of how your faith and the ripple effect, what an incredible experience to now know that this doctor who you were referred to Mm -hmm. um, is now a researcher and Incorporating with his other patients, I mean, what must that feel like to know that you're giving hope and 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 just your story is transformational in other people's lives, the people that you'll never even know.
0: Yeah, it's 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 been interesting. Um, you know, when something first happens like this, your your first question that. You try not to ask, but it's always in the back of your mind, especially as a person of faith, is why God? Why me? Why this? Why now? You know, why am I having to go through this? And oftentimes, He's gracious with us, and we don't always get the answers to those questions immediately, usually not. Um, But if you're patient with Him, and if you continue asking and trying to learn and listen for the answer, and not just your anger, yell why, and then, you know, stomp off, stomp out of the room like our kids do, Um, but really wait for him to answer and listen for him to kind of teach you and lead you through the answer, which sometimes takes longer. Um, Those things will often be revealed and brought to light. And that's what, you know, we've really seen over the last couple of years is the opportunity um, that has come out of this, the purpose. I mean, just, you know, we all felt like we had a deep purpose and you know, aside from all this before, but what a new purpose this is giving us to be able to share information with friends and family and clinicians and many others. I mean, the, the doors that this has opened to be able to minister and encourage people to is amazing. My husband has become a, one of the biggest advocates. And, you know, one thing that you can always Uh, find in common with people unfortunately nowadays is some type of sickness or disease that they or their family members facing and Mm -hmm. it feels like so many conversations my husband ends up having with people and me too end up going to a disease diagnosis they're facing or their family members facing or a sickness but it's such a neat um a neat thing to be able to carry this testimony and this information that we've learned with us Mm. and and sort of use our scars and and our experience as a teaching tool because we're able to bring so much hope and encouragement to other people who Mm. where before we're like man that stinks Well, we'll we'll pray about it we'll pray for healing Uh, We'll pray for you, which is valuable. But now we can say, you know what? God created our bodies to heal themselves. If we'll just stop damaging them, let me tell you how to stop damaging your body and Mm -hmm. walk through this healing process with God. And Mm -hmm. and that is an amazing message that we've been able to share with people and encourage people and give people hope back. Mm -hmm. Um, People are so hopeless when, when they're faced with uh, these disease diagnoses that are just so rampant and widespread and, and to give that hope back to people's encouraging and, you know, working with clinicians in UT Southwestern and um, has been really encouraging that they're sharing with others, but um, just all the people in our lives and the health system, I get, I get people referred to me all the time that are facing MS or have a family member that are facing MS and want me to talk to them. And, you know, I'm glad because there's probably... You know, 50 some odd people that have been referred to me over the past couple of years that probably wouldn't have had any other source of hope or encouragement in their diagnosis if I hadn't have been through my journey and was able to kind of hold their hand along in their journey. So it's so meaningful. It kind of brings a new perspective to what really matters in life and the things that really inspire you and encourage you to keep moving forward and, and trying to make the better decisions because your journey is often a story that will be told to someone else and and how you can impact their life with your decisions and the story that you make um, really show you that it's so much bigger than just you. Your decisions, right. both good and bad, often have such a larger ripple effect to the world around you. And that's why we should take such responsibility and ownership over trying to make the best decisions possible.
1: And I think also it's a, a great testimony of your faith and how God made circumstances align that you would see this at the time that you did early in your diagnosis as well. Right. So you'd have even better odds of, of beating it. And I think what you said is key um, when you share hope with someone. So, you know, for those physicians who think, Oh, I'm not going to share this with anyone. Nobody's going to change, you know, their diet. I don't think they understand that when a physician speaks to a patient and says, you know, there is an opportunity that you may be able to eat your way out of illness Uh um, that gives them hope. And so I think that's, we've become a hopeless health system, right? It's not just sick care, but it's a, it's a hopeless situation where we just give medications and off you go. Um, but there is something powerful that when, as a physician, you speak with authority to a patient and say, hey, talk, let's talk about plants, let's talk about the science and the, the healing aspect. But that gives them hope and inspires them, and that's, sometimes that's all they need to make the leap. And mm-hmm. if they know that you're supporting them, so many people will make this transition. I mean, I have countless patients over the last six and a half years that have just done just that. And um, I think that's you're exactly right. You're giving them hope. And then it's highly addictive. I think on my side, I know you probably feel it too, it's highly addictive to be a part of someone's journey to, to mm-hmm. healing. yeah it's like veggie crack (laughs) yes
0: i mean it's just it's just encouraging like i said it just broadens your perspective of what really matters in life and 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 expand your view of the world beyond just your bubble and and what's happening in your life and what you can accomplish today or this week and and really helps you see the connection that god's created us to have with all around us where we're we're doing this together and we're encouraging and and carrying people along with us and um no man was ever meant to be an island you know or or by themselves
1: absolutely well i'll tell you it's a beautiful story and i still want to respect your time so i know we're coming across the point that we were going to we agreed to stop so thank you so much for sharing your story with us it's going to be very inspiring to many people i'm sure
0: yes i i appreciate the time and like i said before, um, if, if anyone gets anything out of this, I hope they realize food is so important. It's such a cornerstone in any kind of health progress or trying to achieve wellness. We've downplayed it so much over you know past couple centuries, and now hopefully there's an increased emphasis on how big of an impact that food really has on us. Um, and just the miraculous creation of our bodies and how they can actually heal themselves after years and years of abuse. Mm-hmm. Stop the abuse and healing happens almost instantaneously. And that's just amazing. But um, I'm, I'm a big believer, in, and I, I tell this to everyone I talk to, is it, it's it's a lifestyle issue. Um, food is really the key. It's it's a gateway. It can be a gateway drug or a gateway to healing. And, mm. you know, it can be a slippery slope to sickness. But if you kind of connect even to health, you start realizing the reasons why you eat the things you do and the reasons you eat as often as you do and the reasons you overeat and the reasons why you indulge. start realizing all the emotional connections we have to food that are just unhealthy. Mm. Um, And and we start getting to such deeper aspects of soul healing and who we are as people and the things that are dragging us down every day that we're sweeping under the carpet and ignoring and shoving a Snickers bar in our mouth, trying to medicate it and keep moving forward. Um, And when you get to those deeper issues and really start looking at forgiveness and bitterness and anger and strife and and, you know, need for accomplishment and find value in what other people, I mean, all these things that we struggle with as a culture that is just destroying us. When we start getting to those deep down issues that we're using food to medicate, my goodness, the, the, the revelation in your life, the quality of life and health that you have, body, mind, and spirit is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, such a great way to live when you can be free from all those things that that weigh some of us, so many of us down that we don't even realize. Sometimes um, it really is a spiritual life, and it's 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 a it's a it's a great way to live.
1: You know that. Just a, a quick story too. Um, when you speak about the anxiety and the depression that's so rampant across the United States, you know, and it's 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 very sad and. When I've had patients who are on medications and they transition to a plant-based diet, you like you, like you said, you have to work through, you have to go deep, right? You have all this stuff you're stuffing down and to get to the good stuff, you have to go through the stuff, the bad stuff that you've been pushing down on top of it. And you know you're changing your gut, you're changing the microbiome, which affects the good feeling hormones that are being made there. And people are coming off these medications because they feel good, they feel better, they have more energy. And one, uh, one woman in Florida, and just a sweet woman. Um, she goes, you know, I, she'd been on Prozac for over a decade and she goes, you know, I wasn't sad or depressed, but she goes, but I didn't realize I didn't, wasn't feeling anything. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I was just so flat that I had missed. She was like, you know, now I actually understand joy and mm-hmm. what it's like to feel happy and joy. And then, yeah, I feel down, but it's not the down that I, I was before. And, um, that's an incredible thing. So I think there's so much in people's life that we're, like you said, if we don't, if we're doing the food and then we'd give them medications Uh to try to numb the numb you know the pain that the food is causing and all the other things and that we're not dealing with but that is your you are so on top of a huge iceberg (laughs) i just barely took the tip of that but you're exactly right you're exactly right so so wow well thank you again so much for
0: your time yes thank you for having me i've enjoyed it